everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 9, issue 437. And today we're going to talk about the original Prince of Persia, its many versions, also the sort of 2007 remake-ish, but not the sequels, not in depth anyway. There's uh, a lot to get through this uh, much-storied game. Joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 437 are Chris O'Regan. Hello! Jesse Fuchs. Dun, dun, dun. Something like that. And Carl Moon. Hey, everyone. And yes, so for those who are uninitiated, I think uh, Prince of Persia is actually one of those games, and and we had a three-word review through just before recording that sort of cements this, which is that like, I would say, like Duke Nukem uh, almost, where the, the, the third game was the one that became so famous that people almost forgot about the existence of the 2D Duke Nukems. I think in this case, the Sands of Time, the 2003 game, became almost so famous that for a lot of people, especially those of a certain age, the uh, the history of Prince of Persia kind of almost got uh, filed away, especially with the... Uh, it had a very low-profile entry into the 3D world in 99. We'll cover that briefly. But officially, we're really only talking about the actual the first Prince of Persia and its 2007 remake. It is a 2D flick screen. No scrolling here. Uh, 1001 Nights, also known as the Arabian Nights, influenced platform game with famously the one fact you'll always find about Prince of Persia on anything that's ever written or said about it. The animation is rotoscoped, more of which later. Uh, from myabandonware.com. Now, this game is abandonware. You can download legally any version of it you like from myabandonware.com there's even a version on the microsoft store which is completely free if you just click on install it just goes straight into your library with about eight thousand fan-made variations as well uh, which is quite nifty Uh, the plot influenced by the arabian knight's tales revolves around the eponymous prince who has been imprisoned by the evil grand vizier jafar he has one hour real time to escape the dungeon and rescue the sultan's daughter who has been placed under a curse by jafar and given a choice to marry him or die a side-scrolling action game gameplay consists of navigating jafar's dungeons and later his tower by running climbing and avoiding traps along with jafar's guards along with fighting jafar's guards i would say uh, much of the time as the game progresses the prince will also be hindered by his own doppelganger conjured up by Jafar to thwart him. More of that later, too. It was also the first of a sort of trilogy. Um, There were two 2D games and then a third, uh, a three-dimensional game in the late 90s um, made by a different team. And then, of course, it went off into Ubisoft territory land, uh, became a long-running franchise with a spin-off movie. Uh, the other sort of little curio game in the series is the 2008 Prince of Persia, which we covered way back when, in April 2012, Kana Rince issue number 29. That's the only Prince of Persia we've covered up to now. Sands of Time has still evaded our grasp, for now at least. So a bit of background about the game. There's a lot of history out there for this game, even footage, which is wonderful. The original footage uh, from Jordan Mechner of his brother, uh, from pop3d.com says today several dozen artists and programmers are involved in the creation of a computer game but in the 1980s games were normally created almost entirely by one person and for prince of persia that person was jordan mechner a then 25 year old recent college grad 
Jordan created the story characters and levels for Prince of Persia. He programmed the game and he drew the graphics. And when Jordan needed help, he didn't go far from home. His dad composed the original music and his brother served as the motion study actor for the prince. Truly a labour of love. Prince of Persia took nearly four years to be completed. Yeah, so Jordan Mechner, his previous published game was also something of a success, a hit critically and I think commercially as well. Je- Jesse, you may know better, but Karateka or Kar- Karateka? Well, and and that is up for grabs. He says Karateka, yes. everyone else in the world says Karateka. Uh, yeah. But um, it was number one on the not very long lived Billboard uh, computer game charts, but in the mm. real tra. You know, in 84 and 85 was not as bad for computers as the console crash was, but it was kind of the shakeout. So there's a lot of him lamenting in his diary about like, I have a number one game and I made $75,000, which for a 21 year old yeah. in 1985 is pretty good. But he he's friends with like the guy who made Choplifter and Load Runner, you know, or multimillionaires off of those games because they came out in like 82. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, again, this is not the karateka show but uh, although it wasn't the first martial arts game uh, there are a few others around at this point karate champ i think fist was around the same time as well where the exploding fist but karateka arguably kind of co-invented genres as well also had some uh, slightly more uh, basic rotoscope graphics was effectively a progressive brawler but also was cinematic told a story uh, as the player fought martial arts from screen to screen and it, yeah in itself is a really interesting game that arguably kind of went on to inspire all kinds of uh, different games um but yes this one his follow-up that he programmed did the graphics programmed in 6502 assembly uh, was kind of all him as well it arrived in north america in october 1989 uh, turned up in japan the following Uh, July 1990 and Europe September 1990 which is kind of why we're covering it now as we're mainly a European show with uh, no disrespect to our US contributors it is in fact the 30th anniversary of Prince of Persia coming out in the UK and Europe right now Uh, we got some listener correspondence as usual Um, but let's let's actually go with our histories at this point Chris your your memories and your time with the original Prince of Persia. Yeah. Um, Amiga. That was the version that for me was definitive. I didn't know about the Apple II history of it. I just saw this very, I don't remember reading a review or something, mm. but I do remember picking it up, looking on the back. I love action adventures. Uh, and um, this, um, this what caught my attention. Like, Oh, I like this kind of exploration kind of thing. I bought it, um, and again, I bought Amiga games. Sorry, let's not go in that conversation again. And um, I took it home, and I, what? Yeah, uh, what struck me was yes, yes, very, very difficult. <laughs> and we'll come with that later. But it wasn't. Yes, the animation was astounding. But what struck me when I was playing it on my Amiga with my Gravis gamepad, which I still have to this day. Because uh, I had like a so rather than a joystick, I was using a actual sort of a thumbstick, sort of like joypad sort of thing, which is uh, was quite advanced for those back in those days. And um, I was I I did pretty well with it. I don't remember completing it on the Amiga. I have since then on other platforms. Uh, but that's that's the I do remember marveling at all the secrets 
a lot of secrets and a lot of secret areas and things and oh you can go here oh wait that's just a dead end but i could go there but nothing really happens and it's just that, that that i marveled at that but also how you interacted with the world that's the thing that struck me as amazing it wasn't just some just the animation because the animation was all about facilitating that because up until that point platformers for me was a block jumping onto other blocks granted that block was animated and looked like something like a person or a, a, a maybe even a an actual blob like you know yeah. silly putty or, or putty putty squad um, normally they had maybe somewhere for, throughout the 80s they'd had between two or four and maybe you know maybe eight frames of animation or something like that you know walking and jumping yeah uh, uh and and this was yeah this this looked this looked next level in that respect but the key and i'm gonna go back to this later on when we sort of do sign up but the fact at one point, you know, there's a, I think it's level six or seven, something like that, where you leap off, fall, and you have to latch onto a ledge. You have to hang onto a ledge, yeah, and then pull yourself up. That freaked me out because yeah. up yeah. until that point, the only way you could land was with your feet. Every platformer had it so. You're a blob, and the blob had to land on top yeah. of the other blob. Ledge grab. Was this the first game with ledge grab? P- quite possibly. I, I can't think, think of one before. Be. I can't think of one before Jesse. it. Jesse. Nothing's occurring to me. No. No. So that's what freaked me out. I remember putting down the gamepad going, what is this? Because it. So, like, wait, this is actually what a human would be doing in a platform. If they're confronted with a 2D platform, this is what they would do. Of course you would do. Whereas in any other game, the other creatures would have little arms, but they they were just there to, for animation. They would they wouldn't do anything typically. They might hold a weapon. I'll grant you that. They might hold a weapon. I'm sort of relating to Jump Man here, everyone, or a certain plumber. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, they wouldn't do anything with their arms. Whereas this character, <laughs> he would actually do all sorts of things with his arms. There was four limbed being and. Uh, I, I, that's what really struck me, and also the, just that's what. So that's my my first beginnings with the game. Major impression that was left on you was this ledge grab. It was, yeah. I'm afraid so. Mm-hmm. Uh, ever no, since no, no, then, it's interesting. Ever since then, you know, Uncharted. They're like, oh yeah, there it is. There it is. Yeah. Uh, just a, a, a very quick search. The first thing that came up with first ledge grab game or similar is uh, an article from Deconstructing Video Games called The Ledge Grab and Appreciation. And the headline picture is exactly the bit that you described, uh, is 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 the prince grabbing the ledge in that. So I, that makes me think, yeah, it's certainly, if not the first, it's certainly um, the one that, you know, made the biggest impression. Yeah. And then from then I had then other episodes of, playing the game in various platforms. Yeah. Most memorable for me would be the Mega Drive or Mega CD version, oh, which is yeah. extraordinary. Mm. And I've actually streamed it, I believe, for us uh, oh, cool. on an earlier episode. I'll have to see what episode it is. Check it out. We'll link it. Kane and Rinse YouTube channel. Indeed. It's, it's, all, it's back all, there somewhere. It's all there, but on my, my glorious Mega CD, which still works. Yay. But, but, and then very recently, and of course on the 360, um, that the 2007 game which i believe is a rather different game yeah i mean it's uh it's a it's a it's a modern remake we'll talk about some of the differences it has a few quotes quality of life changes and and other bits and bobs um and yeah jesse how about you how, how far do you go back with the prince 
Well, I um, I ended up with this. Honestly, I'm not even sure how. A friend must have just put it on my computer uh, on the Mac in 1995. Although I had played a bunch of Karataka on the Atari, and I do think that's relevant because, for instance, I was able to figure out the trick with Shadow Man very, very quickly because huh. it's the same trick as in Karataka. Uh, but right. uh, we, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, but mm. but yeah, it um, for people uh, who heard the Rayman episode, this was basically the same. The, the summer I went up to Vail to uh, teach rich kids SAT intensely for a few weeks uh, and made a chunk of change that I could then spend on a PlayStation, I was just up there with my computer and it was I did not have a car. There wasn't much to do. Uh, and I just spent, I think, like four or five days, I just beat this game into the ground uh, and, um, you know, beat it pretty much fair and square. I, you know, I think I was saving at the beginning of levels. I don't know if I realized you could parry. Uh, I have no memory of ever <laughs> doing that. Uh, and um, yeah. which version were you playing, Jesse? Sorry, I was say. playing the the color Mac version. Uh, uh-huh. And um, right. which is very different in feel. And then right. And then. Hadn't played yeah. it again for whatever, 20, 25 years, 20 years, and then started teaching this 80s class, uh, went back to it and did to some, but not, you know, total regret, certainly f- fixated on the Apple II version, that being the original, and me kind of being interested in it from a, you know, Mechner has written so much about this, you know, it is sort of a treasure trove. So I really stuck with the Apple II version and and to my regret, uh, told my students to play that one instead of any other one. Uh, and, <laughs> and I might way. read a few quotes from some of their uh, critical play reports that are especially Please. critical this That'd time around. Uh, but um, To your regret or to their regret? To their, well, both of ours. <laughs> At this point, you know, it, it's going to come around again in a couple of weeks in that class because I'm teaching it again. And I'll definitely be like, start with the Apple II one just to feel what it's like. And then yeah. once you get frustrated feel free to switch to dos or amiga they all have you know super nintendo uh but yeah i i basically then just went back to it uh for the king like i played up to level three or four just to re-familiarize myself with the class but uh one of the reasons i picked this as my game this year was i was like okay this is one where i really want to kill two birds with one stone like really know this game backwards and forwards uh because i like to talk about it and yeah I finished it honestly the first time, but this time I was save scumming every 30 seconds for reasons we will get yeah. into. No problem. Yeah. Uh, Carl, how uh, how's your Prince of Persia history? So mine started with the Amiga. I uh, played that a lot with my, my dad and my uncle, and obviously they were into collecting magazines that you know, they'd had consoles before that, um, and they'd been really into it. Is that It was a tight-knit group. Um, of two that would talk about games, um, and and obviously I was brought into that as a young age or as an excuse for getting the Amiga, and they'd seen some magazines that really wanted Prince of Persia. It looked really pretty. It was you know writing about the animation that had been seen on the Apple II, and and you know as as a result went out and bought an actual box copy. Um, mm. Maybe one of maybe five Amiga games that I had were actually boxed. <laughs> um, <clears throat> And I would play that, and I, as much as I loved it and wanted to love it and appreciated the art style, I, I didn't click with it. And obviously, I was I was six, going on seven years old at the time, and I ended up. My best friend got a master system, and he got Prince of Persia on the master system, and oh, yeah. I would go around to his house after school quite often, 
um, we'd play that and we'd kind of take turns and we'd end up discovering it. And I clicked more with the Master System version. Maybe the input device, it felt like it was more direct. Also, like graphically. Chris with his Gravis game pad, you were there with <laughs> yeah. the little, the, M- the old it. MS 8-bit two, two rubber button D-pad. One thing, we were quite young. Obviously, I think it was 1992 it was released, so we're looking at 92, 93, nine years old, a couple of years on from where I played it on the Amiga. And it was still kind of that creepy artistic style where it was quite dark if you get chomped in half on the metal shutters, you fell into the spikes, you fell yeah. a distance and crumpled on the ground. There you know, was it, blood. The backdrops were all black. It was quite visceral. You know, it, was yeah. that, it oh, had yeah. that kind of strong impact and... You know, you'd hold your breath as you were anywhere near spikes. And, you know, I, I'm 36 years old now and it still happens when I play that game. It's that strange kind of, I shouldn't be able to do this, but I kind of can because I couldn't do it in any other game at that time. But the fact that my friend and me and my friend were taking turns back and forth was such a strong memory. But the fact that we got such a barrier, and this wasn't the time when you could just look up on the internet or even necessarily go into the news agents and flick through a magazine to find a guide. Um you know, a lot of it, either you rang a helpline or, or you just kept cracking away until you did it. Um, so it, it's really interesting that Chris mentioned that that was his memory because that was mine. The fact that we found it by accident, that we leaped. Well, the first time we leapt off the screen and then we obviously we saw it. Uh, we didn't grab it, obviously. <laughs> no. And then, then you try it again. No. And uh, yeah, no. it, it really, really strong memories of playing this in co-op. And then uh, I played it back in... 95, 96, 97-ish MS-DOS version on PC. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And by that point, kind of the magic had, uh, it had lost me at that point. It, it felt like it, it, that kind of game always felt really fresh at the beginning and seemed to age quicker than everything else, right? Because and of course, it, it had that style. We were post-Flashback then, one of your favourites. And yes, Flashback massively. obviously took a lot of Prince of Persia with it and so going back to prince of persia after flashback obviously different scenario and setting but it may have felt a little uh, look because flashback had as we talked about in that show like really ornate crusty yeah. organic and, and sci-fi graphics and going back to prince of persia which looked like the pro- product of an 8-bit computer yeah and also looked like the product of a level editor which it is right and flashback Absolutely, does it yeah, and yeah. and i think it I think Prince of Persia is kind of the amphibious state between Load Runner, Castles of Doctor Creep, like games totally, you were yeah. that uh, could and some did have a level editor that were essentially yeah. you make puzzle levels and a bespoke game. And I mean, we'll get into the little bes- like there's just enough little bespoke bits of Prince of Persia, yeah, right, yeah. like as many as you could cram into an Apple II, but there's not that many, but they really land. Right. Uh, yeah. Whereas Flashback yeah. in like another world feel kind of through composed in a way sure uh sorry carl your history you we were up to like 97 or something yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and it was just the fact that going back to this and obviously we were in the, the the playstation era now we'd gone 3d we'd already had as you mentioned flashback but even more so another world um and these are the games that it felt like for me that we'd hit the pinnacle of what we'd seen in terms of what could be done with that rotoscope and technique that that on it animation style and as a result prince of persia felt like it was the influence that had grown things really strongly but it was also the victim of being the earliest one and and stuff had essentially iterated on it and been better so for kind of 1990 to 92 93 from the amiga to the mass system it was really strong incredible memory and then going back to it was 
sometimes you can go back to something and it 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 really it sort of pulls the rug from under your feet and it kind of damages the memory of it that's so so positive and and sometimes you're better off not doing it and and I think by the time I played the MS DOS version that magic had sort of disappeared um and and that that was really sad for me but you know I I've never lost the fact that the origin and the importance of what what Prince of Persia was 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 obviously really really strong and I, I felt like I saw that 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 life cycle um, across the three systems, and that that was probably the really interesting part of it, and part of my um, mm. my, my history of playing it. Yeah, mine uh, rather different to Carl's in that. Uh, well, I didn't have many pirated Amiga games at all, as you can hear on our Amiga show. I spent absolutely thousands of pounds on new box copies of Amiga games, except the Prince of Persia. Uh, I got past I got past a hooky disc by a friend of a friend. And that was my only ever copy on the Amiga. Uh, what can I say? I don't think I ever even saw a, a, sh- a shop copy. I got my Amiga when I was eight, for my 18th birthday, not four, like Carl. And I did play it with a joystick, not a, not a gamepad. Um, somehow managed to cope, although uh, I don't think I legitimate. In fact, I know I legitimately never beat the Amiga game. Uh, I played it a lot and uh, I could get some way into it. But because it was a pirate copy, I think I believe it had a what they used to call a trainer which uh, which enabled you to press function keys and skip to the start of certain sections and yeah. things like that. So I, I I remember having a look at some of the later levels and thinking, um, and obviously I've, I've watched playthroughs of, of the old 8-bit version. I can still remember how it feels, and I've been back to the MS-DOS version via Xbox's store, which I wasn't expecting. Uh, I was thinking I was going to download uh, ROMs officially, but you can just get it. It's weird. Anyway, um. And uh, when it came out on PS3 and 360, uh, I bought that version. Well, I bought the 360 version. It was given away on PS Plus at some point on on PS3 because I've got that version in my library as well. Uh, and that's actually the one that I've sort of legitimately finished while still abusing the quality of life improvements, such as the the way that you're able to select a level, beat your previous best time, and that actually contributes to your your overall clock, as in the shorter you beat the level, the more time you've got left to do the later levels, which is a pretty clever and friendly system. But it also arguably completely ruins the whole point uh, of the, of, you know, the the sort of the pressure and threat of the game. So I can totally see why purists would be up in arms about it. Uh, there are some pros and cons to that version overall that we'll talk about. But um, yes, such is my history. Kez86 from the forum says, I did have Prince of Persia for the Sega Mega Drive. But going f- uh, going from the speed of Sonic to this was something that my young mind couldn't quite handle. Being only seven-ish at the time, I found the game incredibly difficult. I could barely get past the second level. Countless running into a wall, frustrating. Moving one tile forward and back, awkward as hell. Shuffling ever so slightly towards the edge of something, only to then press the D-pad too much and falling. Stopping me inches from the edge of a spike pit, always tense. The horrific scream of the prince as he plummets to his death and becomes impaled, haunting, the traps, the falling floors, the spike walls. I can't do this. All in all, I hated the game, I think. <laughs> the fond memories I have come from playing it with my nan, of all people, and returning to uh, returning to it with her throughout the years. When my family got a PS1, we gave my nan our Mega Drive. She became a master at it. She taught me how to properly play games like Bomberman, Lemmings and Prince of Persia. My only completion of the game was a run-through with her in the early 2000s. In the years leading up to her passing in 2013, the Mega Drive would still work and I would enjoy a Sunday afternoon with her getting beaten at Bomberman and other games. This game reminds me of my childhood, 
by learning that not all games should be played with speed and that no matter how much you can suck at a game, enjoyment comes from learning from those around you. Isn't that nice? Halo Fandango says, I have a memory of playing this as a child on my friend Ben's MS-DOS PC back in the day. And all I remember, all I remember is the luscious rotoscope animation and sound effects. Years later, as teenagers, he bought Prince of Persia Classic on the Xbox 360 and we replayed it again together. And all of those childhood memories came flooding back, all with a beautiful HD presentation. Definitely a touchstone of gaming and for me, one of the pillars of the platforming genre. Sales-wise, according to pop3d.com, Prince Persia sold nearly 2 million copies. I bet it was pirated a few more times than that. Sorry, Jordan. Um, Brodebund, <laughs> 30 years late. There's my apology. Uh, it won numerous awards, including Game of the Decade from Generation 4, Canal Plu in 97. The game was published first on Apple II, but as we know, soon made its way to virtually all platforms in existence. <laughs> yeah. Blue Weasel Breath says, I messed around with the Game Gear version of this game, which, as you can imagine, is similar-ish to the Master System version, probably zoomed in, um, as, as was usually the case due to resolution differences and visibility issues. Uh, I played the Game Gear... Uh, sorry, I messed around with the Game Gear version of this game at camp one summer after years of hearing about it as a classic. It belonged to some other kid, and I spent only a few minutes with it, but I enjoyed it and recognised its status as a spiritual progenitor to another world, which I'd been playing recently on the SNES. Uh, so, yeah, obvious. Uh, these are some influences, both ones that are quoted and cited, but also some that I personally think may have been an influence or I would, I would like to speculate that they could have been. Obviously, Arabian Nights, 1001 Nights is uh, is definite uh disney's rotoscoping itself as an animated animation studio going all the way back to snow white and the seven dwarves uh the sinbad movies as well um made by various uh i can't remember which of the big hollywood studios possibly paramount not not certain rank maybe um but things uh films the, the fantasy and mythology films where ray harryhausen was employed to uh to create things like the uh the famous animated skeletons in uh, jason the argonauts there's a uh, there's a there's a kind of harryhausen skeleton figure in here uh ralph bakshi another uh another rotoscope artist made uh one half of lord of the rings of course uh, the raiders of the lost ark i mean obviously that was influenced as we know by the chapter plays of the hollywood of the 30s and also apparently um Carl Barks, Donald Duck comic books for Disney as well. So there's another Disney link. But in particular, Mechner saw the the famous, uh, you know, the pit leap grabbing vine at the start of the, or towards the end of the opening sequence of Raiders. Uh, and that, that inspired the, the kind of ledge grab, I guess, because um, there's no vine or creeper grabbing this. So the ledge it is. Uh, I wondered, I don't know if anyone would think that Dragon's Lair might have been something of an influence. Um, I believe so. If you think about it, because some of the leaping over the chasms, there's bits in that in Dragon's Lair, which is a game ultimately to play it will only last ten minutes. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, of yeah limited interaction, um, obviously with the the laser disc technology. But mm. uh, obviously the desire the desire of Don Bluth and his studio was to, was to create something that was more you know better animated and cinematic than the rest of the technology allowed him at the time. Jesse, yeah. He never mentions it uh, in either no. of the diaries, so who knows? But I mean, and you know, he does mention a bunch of games, but I'm sure he saw it because it was everywhere for like six months there, uh, and 
I'm sure the 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 idea. Yeah, it's actually interesting. He doesn't because, right, mm. a, a legitimate animator doing this video game thing. Uh, it yeah, it's, it's actually now that I think about it, a little surprising because it's trying to do, you know, yeah. it's trying to compress things. So like Dragon Slayer is insanely frantic when you watch it now, right? Because it's yeah uh, yeah yeah. Um, but you know they're both influenced by very early. You know, Mechner, like he's you know, a serious film student who's like watched a lot of the silent movies and stuff and is kind of, you know, comfortable with thinking of himself as being like, well, this is like being in 1922 for games. Like, what can you accomplish given our very limited tools? Uh, and yeah, I think you would probably look at Dragon's Lair and kind of see a parallel, uh, but obviously something. I don't, it, what he does and does not talk about is weird. His, his basic loyalty to the Apple II is slightly perplexing when you read through this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, because he is interested in games and action games, but he doesn't seem to, like... And he has the money if you want to, like, pick up an Amiga or whatever, right? Yeah. And it never seems to come up. He once... I, I have this amazing quote from 1989. January 3rd, 1989. Been playing Super Mario 2. First time in ages I've been addicted to an arcade game. Now, hmm. I don't think that's... Like, I don't think he literally means an arcade game. I think that's just how he thinks of Nintendo games. Yeah, small A, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But just like it, he, he's interestingly in his kind of particular bubble in terms of, I don't, and yeah, so yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know. That, that is interesting. And yeah, so obviously, I mean, yeah, sticking with the Apple II, just the, um, yeah, the pace of the game and all those limitations. Uh, there's, it's interesting, actually, I was watching some, uh, there's a couple of good videos out there, listener, which compare all the myriad versions one after the other. Uh, there was one version, I think it was the X68000 version, which was converted by River Hill Soft, and it looks at least as slow as the uh, the Apple II version. Like, they've almost been too faithful about it, rather than using the extra uh, power to uh, to give it some extra speed. Maybe it was that version, but um, one of the things was the sound effects uh, was so uh, so heavy and clunky that I remember like I remember first playing the Amiga version and having a really strong sense of the prince's little bare feet slapping yeah. on those slate tiles, and this version that I watched like the sound effects of the foot the feet are so heavy and the animation so slow it makes him look like some kind of lumbering titan kind of. <laughs> around the around the dungeons instead of this super nimble live acrobatic prince very strange uh but yes i guess if that's the only version i'd had access to at the time i'd have probably uh got the best out of it nonetheless uh already mentioned uh the likes of load runner and the castles of dr creep i mean there were lots of these kind of games around uh 2d flick screen static uh puzzly platformers um but this was an attempt to take it out of the the abstract and the surreal as uh, as as chris was saying like rather than it just being some kind of random blob or creature or whatever i know the guy in load runner is a, a little dude of some kind but to kind of string it all together rather than being a set of abstract levels one after the other which i suppose even kind of mario was back then uh until kind of more concrete story elements started coming in uh, and the other one that I thought of that I haven't seen Mechna mention, but seems to be an obvious one to me, is Ep Epic's Mighty Impossible Mission. It had a, a an overarching time limit. It had uh, a lusciously animated sprite, not rotoscope, but a, a famously well animated leaping agent character. 
Um, and it, yeah, it seems to me that it would be an influence. Yeah. But that was about 84. I have that written in my notes uh, good, good. because I'm like, yeah, that does seem like one. Well, this might again be the Apple II thing, right? Because the Apple II yeah. version of Impossible Mission looks terrible. Uh, mm. And but what's baffling is Castles of Doctor Creep is only on the Commodore 64, and that seems to be right. the number one influence. But it's also a Broderbund hmm. game, so he might not have he might have just played it at Broderbund a bunch or sure. something. But yeah, his his. What he's exposed to is video, very idiosyncratic, and and because the Apple II is such a weird machine, basically, especially for action <laughs> games. Um, but yeah, and and I think the key difference is how zoomed in, right? That's uh, like Load Runner is very zoomed yeah. out. Doctor Creep and Impossible yeah. Mission are pretty zoomed out. And yeah. what's weird is this does start as like there's no combat, and I guess we'll get into like why that happened. But like it's starting mm -hmm. as a very right puzzly. Uh, it will come with a level editor like Load Runner, and and he never discusses the fact that it being zo so zoomed in, which is obviously because he has these cool rotoscoped, you know, he's kind of building it from the scale of the rotoscoping, uh, yeah. makes it really hard to do puzzles in the same way, right? Because uh, um, you, you start end up constructing mazes that people just have to keep in their head in a kind of way that gets annoying pretty quickly. Right. As opposed to Load Runner, you can, you know, it's all one big screen where you're very tiny and you can do relatively complex things given the limited means. Uh, and yeah, it just it never comes up, which I found odd. Now, mm. for me, the Impossible Missions or com comparison is Impossible Mission, the, the jumping is peculiar because he does these weird somersaults, which is actually yeah. incredibly irritating. Like, no, don't land there. Unrealistic. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> but um, also, the, there was, I think there's more puzzle in Impossible Mission. Than there is um, eventually came out with Prince of Persia. Prince of Persia definitely has its core roots in puzzle. You can see it throughout the game when you're playing it. But really, I would say I'm not going to put percentages or scales on this, but it does lean heavily towards: Are you do you have any dexterity in your hands or fingers at all? Then good job, because <laughs> this is the game mm. for you. Uh, but you know, it's uh, yeah. it, that those in order to succeed at the puzzles, you need to know a figure them out. And B, oh, I've got to run, you know. Mm, mm. So yeah, influence on obviously there. Yeah, there are probably myriad other influences on uh, on Mechner, but uh, those are some of the key ones I thought. And influence on some again, I would you know speculate, and some are uh, uh, kind of obvious. Disney's Aladdin. Uh, in the film, the evil evil vizier Jafar tries to force the princess Jasmine of the mythical city of Agrabah to marry him, and Aladdin tries to save her. Towards the end of the film, Jafar also traps the princess in inside a giant hourglass, similar to the one the evil vizier Jafar from Prince of Persia summons forth at the beginning of the game to indicate the time in which she has to make her decision to marry him or die. Another world. Now, often uh, we've yet to cover that game even though it's had multiple uh anniversaries is it due another one yet um next year i think isn't it? yeah that's right i think we talked about this uh it's a game that often uh, dragon's lair often gets mentioned as an influence on another world but uh given that we've made that connection as well it seems uh, it seems to make sense another world is more about those authored moments in that every scene is a is a crafted scene there's no uh, yeah. there's no sense of a level designer here whatsoever uh, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that as in it's not made out of blocks and elements that are repeated over and over again. Uh, but just in terms of the the sort of, yeah the cinematic presentation and the and the, the the high levels of animation that are hard to interrupt and so on and so forth. 
Uh, Tomb Raider, definite 1996, uh, the original core design, Toby Gard and co, Tomb Raider. Uh, I remember the first time I got Tomb Raider home, I bought the Saturn version, which launched first famously. Always got to mention that <laughs> uh, before it became famous on the PlayStation. And I was immediately like, oh, this is 3D. So we should say there was a 3D Prince of Persia in 1999, which I, I'd say now looks like very heavily influenced by Tomb Raider 1996. Yeah. Uh, but back in 96, yeah, so you, so although it was, uh, obviously it was 3D, so it was cube based rather than side on, you know, block based. Uh, the fact that you had to, you could tiptoe through spikes, you had to line up your jumps. Once you were committed to a run, you couldn't really do anything about it. You had to grab onto ledges and Br- brutally cetera, violent in how you died in the same way. Oh yeah. Good point. Yeah. But you did have guns. So Again, guns. Assassin's Creed is an obvious one because mm. obviously I don't know exactly at what point Ubisoft bought the Prince of Persia IP some point after 99 and before 2003, obviously. Mm. Uh, but Sands of Time obviously became a trilogy. And then there was a, another one that span off of it and a couple of other bits and bobs for handhelds. But effectively there was the, the Prince of Persia dark, you know, became the, after the Sands of Time, it became a trilogy. Then there was the the one, was it called The Forgotten yeah. Sands that sort of tied in with the movie, um, which is another game after its own heart. But very much, I'm, I'm pretty sure 2007 Assassin's Creed was pretty much the next game in that lineage, wasn't it? Yeah. I would say parkour related. Yeah. In between and, and jumping No guns, up. Chris, no guns. No in, guns. Uh, not in that uh, Well, not in the, not, the other. Yeah, the yeah, other not, th- yeah well, never mind. In the pirate uh, ones, but- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did find that, yeah, the parkour stuff and definitely the the use of arms, my friend. That's what we're talking about. Arms it, grabbing it, things. If you follow the Another World strain, there's also sort of eco as a, yeah. oh. sort of an indirect progeny. Yeah. I would think. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and yeah, uh, more recently, although getting further ago, of course, like everything, Limbo and Inside, both Play Dead's games, I think, have uh, a lot of a, a kind of. Uh, again, more authored stuff, more individual moments per kind of area. Um, and again, funnily enough, you could even make with Limbo, there's a, there's even a bit of uh, Rick Dangerous <laughs> in there, uh, which was around the same time as Prince of Persia. I think the original 88, maybe, maybe yeah. Rick Dangerous just got there first. And obviously yeah, Spunky is the game that people think of now. But um, again, just um, in terms of the, the, the sort of the animation and the, intent and things like that I'm, not the I'm atmosphere the, definitely the artistic drive in terms of the connection between what we're seeing yeah. and what we're feeling in terms of the control absolutely um timmy timer timmy timer from the forum says prince of persia is my earliest gaming memory i have a very fond memory sitting on my dad's lap in the 90s watching him play and saying glug 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 laughing at the sound uh, that's potion drinking, presumably. But in all seriousness, there are some wonderful sound effects and animation here. I never actually finished it myself. It's difficult, but I can see its DNA in so many of my favourite games like Inside and Uncharted. Here we go. The fandom wiki says that the prince is an orphan living on the streets. I assume that this comes from the original manual. One day he scales the palace walls to catch a glimpse of the princess whose beauty is like the moonrise in the heavens. His feelings are reciprocated by the princess, despite their class differences. It's nice. The game starts with the Sultan of Persia being called away to war in a foreign land. Sensing opportunity, the evil vizier Jafar seizes the throne for himself. The prince is imprisoned since Jafar has designs on the princess. 
The princess is also imprisoned and she is given a choice with an hour to decide, marry Jafar or die. The prince, I thought he was working class, he's not the prince yet, has an hour to compete the game, complete the game by saving the princess and killing Jafar. Again, this is from the uh, Jimmy Ma piece from 2016. Given the game industry's growing fixation on the movies as the clock wound down on the 1980s, Jordan Mechner would seem the perfect man for the age. Struggling with the blessing or curse of an equally abiding love for both mediums, his professional life had already been marked by constant vacillation between movies and games. Inevitably, his love of film influenced him even when he was making games. But perhaps because that love was so deep and genuine, he accomplished the blending in a more even-handed, organic way than most of the multi-CD, multi-gigabyte interactive movies that would soon be cluttering store shelves. Mechner's most famous game, by contrast, filled just two Apple II disc sides, less than 300k in total. And yet the cinematic techniques it employs have far more in common with those found in the games of today than do those of its, uh, its more literal-minded rivals. I mean, I could, can't help but agree. I f- do feel like when you look back at a lot of what people were trying to do with cinematic-type games then, most of it looks incredibly clunky of its time, cheap, tacky, etc., etc. Whereas Prince of Persia, for all its, you know, you might say it's got a lot of gameplay issues by modern standards, it still tells, it, it still uses the medium even in 8-bit term, to tell a very clear and memorable story. It definitely does. And I know that this is something that was referenced in the flashback show, that whilst Mm. all the other games around it were trying to do more, at the time, technical things, Mm. you know, it's something we've talked about, haven't we, when we we entered the age of 3D and everyone tried to do these 3D things and somehow now as a result they look far more aged than the stuff that came before it, where it was crafted. Very often. Um, And something like flashback, still has an incredible charm and beauty about it in terms of the appreciation for either the visual craft or the uh, the the animation um uh, and prince of persia albeit a, a slightly further back slightly less iterated um type of that still has something that you can look at and really admire kind of the beauty and the intent of what was going for because if you actually look at what everything else was kind of doing in and around you know the late 80s, mm. early 90s, Prince of Persia stands out. Mm. Talking again about those authored moments that take this game slightly aside or away or above, however you want to look at it, from a, a simple mechanically-led, driven puzzle platformer, complete the level, move on to the yeah. next. There's no story other than th- those moments, the, the, the doppelganger, the mouse... The, the fights with the with the guards, particularly the kind of, you know, there's there's one guy who's a lot bigger than the others, yeah. um, but he's he's like the best, you know, he's the best swordsman in the game. Those moments like, really uh, still, I find them even now still striking and memorable in a way that a lot of yeah. kind of more overtly spectacular encounters from even more recent games manage. It's, it's probably because the, the, the less repeated, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it has tricks up its sleeve, but it never... Those tricks never mm. get tired. So you start fighting, you know, the, these these sultan guards, and then you suddenly you fight a skeleton, and then like I think you only fight two or three skeletons in like the whole game, and it changes yeah. up again. And then you've got um, obviously the mouse, you know, the frustration when that mouse finally turned up when we left it on that screen, um, <laughs> not figuring out what to do, or even the first time that you know you start setting all these trigger points for gates to open up, but then 
the, the distance suddenly becomes really far and you start linking, you know, these things together. And it, this is a bit different from something like an early Mario Brothers where you see like an enemy and then you see that enemy a lot of times. There was a lot of repetition in the things that they were doing. Yeah, it's reusing it, their elements yeah. over and over. And yeah. Prince of Persia yeah. didn't. It what, there was some things it, it would use once, and as a result of just using something once, mm. it remains really, really memorable. Lodged. I did love the fact that it had that little little bit of innovation. A little bit, it, it, they had so little resources to use. Yeah. Mm. The little things they could get away with was wonderful. The whole skeleton interaction with you having to fight them off the edge yeah. was wonderful because up until that point. You were just stabbing people at this thing. I ain't dying. I'm already dead. What are you doing? Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm going to have to. And you just figure out, like, oh, I've got to push them back. I've got to push them back. And it's wonderful yeah. when you do it. And when I when that happened, I kept on doing it to everyone else as well. It's great. <laughs> and in the Apple version, that never shows up again past level three. The skeleton is a one shot because yeah. Uh, yeah. the game could not have both this. That's why level three only has one enemy, at least in the Apple version, the skeleton. Uh, and the rest is all about jumping because it literally could not switch hmm. the, for whatever reason the skeleton was special and like you either have the skeleton or you have other people uh and in general i mean that is like the interesting paradox of this game to me is it's like a ludicrously and technically ambitious 8-bit game that then ends up being remembered as a nice tight little 16-bit game yes yeah that's fair yeah and yeah i mean and that's the thing is it's small like it's 12 levels each one has kind of a distinct personality. They each have like at least one bespoke thing, like the mouse or yeah. Shadow Man, or it's that. And you know, to make it kind of memorable, uh, right? There's the the big guard on level six, and then the twist where like level six is just the mini boss battle, basically, mm. and then you fall. And right, and you know, uh, and right, the level eleven figuring out how the falling, you know, you've been dealing with the falling ceilings the whole time, but now there's all like the levels entirely about them. Um, <laughs> Like he, there's not that many different, there's fewer kind of traps and tricks than like Castles of Dr. Creep. But mm -hmm. because it's a fairly small game, like he originally was picturing it as 40 levels or 50, le you know. Um, right. And he was like, no, it'll be 12 and they'll be like tightly designed and each one will be memorable and I'll do everything I can kind of combining these mm -hmm. different trap elements and stuff. Uh, and yeah, it, it, I'm curious about the Super Nintendo version because I played a little mm. of it and it felt good. Mm. But yeah, I'm curious about the stuff they added if it feels as tightly designed. It's interesting because it's got two hours, hasn't it? The, the, the Super Nintendo one. So that, like that, that that's yep. such a substantial. substantial change to the the whole. But thing. it has two, twenty levels and boss right. fights, yeah. so yeah. they they've obviously you know pushed it out a bit. I'm going to look at the uh, Mega Drive, the Sega Mega Drive, mm. not the um, Mega CD version, mm -hmm. to see what. Uh, They've added to that because they might have done something similar. I'm going to look that up because I never finished it on there. I just have it. Uh, I don't think so, but it it shares like the, this is obviously one of the things to say. We not only have we not all got personal experience of all the myriad versions, but the the art and visuals vary wildly across. Uh, from you know from the original Apple version through the 16-bit versions, the Japanese console ports, the um the SNES version was converted by a team called Arsis Software. Uh, in Japan, who were actually involved in things like making Gran Turismo with Polyphony for um, for Sony PlayStation and stuff like that. So uh, there's so much history there to go into, and we did a ton of that on on Rayman. Okay. <laughs> and there's there's even more here, like to several and, times more. And, and, and of course, um, this game was built on the, the the delicate nature of balancing 
the requirements of a system, right? So we got like, was it? I think yeah. the Apple version is it some two hundred ninety three k or two hundred ninety five k or something. Um, and yeah. then, yeah, and then it obviously expands on on terms of, and it's making it what what fits on an Amiga, what fits on a Master System, what fits on a Mega oh, yeah. Drive, and then I mean, obviously different teams are iterating this, and each one of those gives yeah. ultimately a different feel. So you know, it, it, it's what I played on the Amiga was very different to what I played on the PC, which was very different to what I played on the Master System, which will be very different to what Chris played on the Mega Drive. You know. It, it, like that mm. that's that's an incredible legacy for a game that everyone will have different memories for di- different reasons you know i i didn't only yeah. have the one skeleton you just jesse had the one skeleton so like that that, yeah. that, that that's <laughs> that's that's fantastic and the game feel being so different i mean it, it right coming from puzzle yeah. platformers like load runner or boulder dash right and i mean one thing about these computer games is they had to be on 12 different systems so yeah. I mean, Load Runner. Wow, how many systems is that on? Ev- just uh, literally dozens. And the but the, and the game feel on those all varies a little. But because it's more puzzly, uh, yeah. it doesn't affect it as much. And I yes. think that's the funny thing with Prince of Persia is it's so the puzzles are so much about execution and tight game feel, and the game feel varies so wildly from version to version uh, yeah. that I think you really have to like test drive all of them like pairs of glasses and just like yeah. find the one that fits yeah. your your fingers. Yeah, the um, the MS DOS Amiga and ST ports are generally known as being uh, faithful, but a, a li- you know smoother than the Apple II. But once you start dealing with the handheld versions and the Japanese versions, everyone's taking the, the you know the, the the fundamentals of the the DNA and the mechanics and the numbers behind them are being subtly or less subtly tweaked behind the scenes. Um, yeah, it's always an interesting thing. Some of the versions, the Prince's look actually got changed up. Uh, the Mac and the Japanese versions, I think some of them, uh, he wears a turban and a jacket instead of his just kind of uh, light cottony pantaloons and top. So according to Moby Games, the animations were modelled from live video taken in or from 1985. In particular, the Prince climbing onto a ledge was spliced from two different takes. Jordan's brother pulling himself up to a ledge to his chest and a reversed clip of his brother on top of the ledge climbing down. It was also used in Mechner's previous game, Karateka. The footage is out there to be enjoyed on YouTube, which is nice. So much of this stuff is lost to time, but thankfully that has been archived and hopefully will be around for as as long as we are. According to Wiki, though, not all of it was his brother, and he's confirmed this as well, to create the game's sword-fighting sprites, Mechner rotoscoped the final duel scene between Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone in the 1938 Adventures of Robin Hood film. Through, uh, though the use of rotoscoping was regarded as a pioneering move, Mechner later recalled that when we made that decision with Prince of Persia, I wasn't thinking about being cutting edge. We did it essentially because I'm not that good at drawing or animation, and it was the only way I could think of to get lifelike movement. <laughs> Uh, there is one other part that is not his brother that I find incredibly charming, which is at the oh, yeah. at, at the very end, right when you rescue the princess, oh, uh, she yes. comes up to you and hugs you, right? Yeah. And those are the princess is like some Broderbund employee's daughter, and the the prince and the at that point dress. 
is yeah. uh, in a right in a chiffon dress, right? And and uh, <laughs> and and I only mention this because it's relevant. She is somewhat shapely, and the guy is some friend of his. And you can kind of see in the like Apple II version that he's like arching his back a little in the way that yes, like, if you're trying really to be awkward. polite, yeah. and polite, it's, yeah. it's like well, the prince is a true gentleman because he has just fought through twelve levels, and still when he gets a hug, he's like, I don't want to you know be rude. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it is very funny how that translates over. That video is also out there. And uh, yeah, it would have been interesting if Mechner had insisted on the traditional prince and princess kiss at the end. How awkward might that have been <laughs> in the, with, between those two employees? Or worse still, a talking toadstool saying that actually she's another. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you've got to complete eight, eight more uh, dungeons before you can uh, yeah, yeah. kill actual with, with fireball. Jafar. With fireball. Yeah. Max Stat from the forum says Prince of Persia, along with Another World and Flashback, is one of the games that shaped my love for video game animation. It was one of the games that had very detailed for that time animation. And I just couldn't believe how is that possible in an era where a lot of characters had just a couple of frames of walking animation. But Prince of Persia wasn't like that. It had very detailed walking, running, jumping. I sometimes launched the game and just ran back and forth, changing the directions just to see those animations. Me too. That's exactly what I used to do. Uh, even though I found the game very difficult and somewhat frustrating, uh, this is me now, um, I would just run about in the game quite a lot uh, because, yeah, even though I was I was an arcade regular at the arcades, had been for many years by this point and had uh, kind of all the latest games on the Amiga and whatever else, just the pleasure of actually running the prince back and forward, even though I knew that actually trying to make him jump at the exact point that you wanted to was sometimes a sticky point. <laughs> but the fact that he looked so good when he had inertia and his, you could see his foot, you know, kind of bearing his weight as he changed direction on these, on these sharp, uh, you know, uh, glossy slates. It was, uh, it was intoxicating, I have to say. And I still remember that feeling. I mean, I still get it. I mean, this is why the Apple II version for all of its flaws just still compels me because just the yeah. rawness of like, there are no sprites. Yeah. There's no, this is right. as close to just writing zeros and ones as it gets. Yes. And yeah. and this thing coming to life in this very human way where, right, he, he runs and grabs the cliff and is hanging and like, and it just seems incredibly lifelike is, is it's still one of these things that just makes my jaw drop in a weird way. Even, you know, and the other versions look really nice and in some ways look better, but they don't have that like primordial quality to them. There's something about rotoscoping and it would be very easy to kind of, uh, you could almost kind of view it as a, like a, a cheat compared to, um, you know, a keyframe traditional animation with, with tweening and whatever else. But I do think there is something, um, a, a, a scanner darkly uh which is yeah. uh the 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 philip k dick film which is in, entirely rotoscoped i don't know exactly I, I guess it's not hand-drawn i guess it's some kind of cg technique i'm not sure i've never watched a making of that film but it has a certain effect like i, I think it's absolutely as um as kind of legitimate a way of telling a story now obviously here this was needs rather than artistic intent but it turned out to be how how well remembered would Prince of Persia be as a like with with the elements it had if it still had the puzzle platforming and those the cool ideas like the doppelganger prince and the mouse and all that stuff would it would it have gone down in legend in in computer gaming in the same way without the rotoscoping I don't it, think so. it'd be impossible mission maybe mm. castles of Doctor Creep yeah right, right. a a life 
game by the people who know about these things. Mm. I, I think for me, that struck me as it's the fact that it looked like a person running yeah, around. That, that, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's the yeah. point. It's just like, oh, look, they're they're really that's what people actually look like when they run. And what <laughs> really what struck yeah. me is that when they drew when he drew himself up to stop, like, mm. oh, because that's what you yeah. do. You don't mm. just stop. You just like you have to slow down and then put your feet in front of you so you don't hit something or fall over. Yeah. It's just, it was all there. Like, well, yeah, that's that's what people do when they run around. So this, I mean, up until then, like I said, it was usually a cartoon character or an approximation of a being, but not really a real person because they don't really act like that. And they use their arms and flail around and they'll do everything to, to make sure yeah. they can actually um, get onto or land on the ledge that they're trying to, trying to land on. Whereas, and that's what struck me. is I, I, I never did what you did, Leon. I was actually you know, sort of just run around for the sake of it. I was always trying yeah. to not to finish it, but I just, I just love the <laughs> fact that I could relate to what this person was doing because that's what you do. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a sense of believability to it when there was not a whole heap of yeah. sense of believability to other things. And, you know, that, that rotoscoping definitely adds something a little bit special, right? In the same way that Dragon's Lair was a little bit special, it looked it just looked incredible oh. when nothing else looked even yeah, remotely time, like yeah. that. We didn't we didn't understand even what the... As, as as a kid walking yeah. into an arcade and seeing <laughs> an actual animation running, I, I was like, uh, yeah, "How does that work? It can't be real." I didn't know what a video disc and, was and, at that and, point, but, and you uh, know, yeah. But there is a sense of craft that, to it that it, it's not just a case of you know rotoscoping someone with a real animation and then adding some points for for actions that suddenly make it great, because you know there there is obviously a sense of craft in terms of the actual game development to make it playable because otherwise you would just use the actual real video footage right and then something like pit fighter would be the greatest fighting game of all time when <laughs> i think we all know it's clearly <laughs> not so um the rotoscoping does add something special to it but that's not just what makes it memorable it's it it's i think the the weight of the character that that you know that that lean if you switch directions you get that weight in as you move um that not just it's not just the animation that sells it. There's actually the feel of the input that sells that as well. Mm. And we'll come back to that because obviously there are issues as well in gameplay sense. Uh, but a little more. This is uh, actually quotes from Jordan Mechner explaining the process for Karataka in 1982. I shot on Super 8, loaded the film into a moviola and traced the frames on tracing paper. The next step was to somehow get the tracings into the computer. For this, I used a gadget called a Versa Writer, which was basically two potentiometers hooked together to make a pantograph that plugged into the Apple's game paddle port. It worked pretty well. By the time I started my next game, Prince of Persia, in 1985, the home video had been invented. So I was able to shoot my 16-year-old brother David running and jumping on VHS tape. Of course, the Apple II had no video input, so I still had to jerry-rig a process to get the frames into the computer so I could rotoscope them. I set up a 35mm still camera on a tripod, took pictures of each freeze frame on the TV screen, and got the roll developed at Photomat. That gave me a starting point to trace the 3x5 prints. It was a laborious process. <laughs> to get the first simple cycle of eight frames of a character running, it took weeks of setup and tool building, followed by days of work. Each frame had to be captured and cleaned up by hand, pixel by pixel. But the result was worth it. The moment I finally saw the character running across the screen, I got chills. 
As rough and pixely as it was, I recognised my brother's way of running, his physical personality. It was the illusion of life. It's cool. That was from a piece in Forbes. Yeah, by Seth Porge. Uh, talk a little about the audio, which obviously, as we've already discussed, sort of varies wildly depending on which version you've got from the, the earliest kind of 8-bit uh, bleeps and through the the PC speaker versions, depending on what sound card you had. The Amiga version, as we said, had some uh, kind of uh, some quite well chosen samples for slates wobbling and cracking and the, the, the feet on uh, tile sound and things like that. But obviously, once you get into those 16 bit and uh, other versions, you've got all sorts of things coming into play. And in the Sega CD and Turbo Duo, you've got animated cutscenes with voice tracks and CD audio as well. So we can only really talk about the versions we're familiar with. Um, the little jingles by by his dad, I think, are really good. Like they're they're really um, yeah. iconic and memorable. And again, maybe it's partly being associated with this game that's become iconic and memorable. But um, the particularly the main kind of sting has been just playing in my head while I've been researching this show for a, for a few weeks now. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think he was like a talented amateur composer. I don't think he, he did it professionally, but it, it wasn't like his first rodeo and trying to, yeah. you know, uh, mm. compose on a piano. And, and I think they had just, and he had also done the music on Karataka. Uh, and, yeah. and yeah, there's, there's a part where he's, uh, Mechner's just swearing about how bad the Apple II sound is, uh, mm. and, and like how much trouble him, like him and his dad are listening to all this great music and then trying to, you know, go bleep, bloop, bloop. Um, and, uh, but yeah, which is interesting because the Apple II, you could get, you know, the mocking board, uh, which would give you like Ultima games had actually quite good sound, like um, not Amiga uh, level, but close, but I guess right. by 89, that was just a dead yeah. thing. And he doesn't mention it. I'm just like, you didn't support it. This is a yeah. This is, or it didn't just say it had come and gone. <laughs> like right, right, yeah, right. Like yeah. Ultima did, some other games did, and like by nineteen eighty nine, who cares? Uh, but yeah, it was it was yeah. just an odd. Uh, but I think those compositions were actually like written down specifically so they could be used on real computers. It feels the music to Prince of Persia feels like it belongs in that game, which seems like a redundant comment yeah. to make, but. Part of me thinks that the 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 possibly is something there in regards to the chemistry makeup of a family that you know it, it's the brothers' animation, um, you know it, it it's the the code in the anime the the actual presentation of the animation and then the father's audio, um, and it's mm. almost is there something there in regards to the chemistry of these people you know growing up together that ah like the. Like Team Ancient, the, the Kashiro family. Almost, yeah. you, you feel like you can write the audio for that game because you know your son so well yeah. that it presents yeah. really well. Because yeah. sometimes yeah, you get yeah. great music and you really appreciate the music, but it doesn't necessarily work in the aspect of, of, of the game, right? And particularly, mm. I'm thinking of, the, of this era where we did have some great music that we acknowledge the music, but it doesn't necessarily fit with the game. But the, the music very much in Prince of Persia feels... Uh, essential into the actual feel that you have as a player interacting with that. It, it that whole environment comes together, right? The like I say, the the animation, the sound, the music is is like a natural blend. It doesn't feel like outsourced things coming together and and, and being sort of forced together. It, it 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 is this beautiful accumulation of things where 
people are comfortable working together and they know what each person needs in that, in terms of that relationship. Yeah. It makes me think of uh, a couple of contemporary studios in that regard, not family related, but thinking about Supergiant using yeah. Darren Corb over and over again and um, Behemoth using Dan Paladin as their featured artist over and over again. Like in the, I think their intention um the behemoth for, for instance originally was like to have a different art style each game um but then in the end you know people got they they got they like working with each other and people got used yeah. to the look of their game so they just kind of stuck with it uh but yes actually and and yeah getting to know your 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 colleagues and what they're they're trying to achieve and just speaking the same language and stuff it's got to be 25 be years of knowing but someone yeah. before you write the music for something like Prince of Persia to go into that yeah, project exactly. as, a, as a passion yeah. project make makes sense that that would work over someone who's, yeah. you know, had two weeks of conversation and started working, you know. I, and I have no idea of how uh, authentically Persian the music uh, stings are, but they certainly evoke that sort of grand yeah, Hollywood yeah, adventure tradition. Uh, Dad's music, yes, adapted by a number of uh, well-known musicians for multiple formats. But you've got like the likes of Mark Cooksey for the NES version, Tommy Tallarico on the Game Boy, and uh, Matthew Vachon for the 2007 classic version, which I think he did a good job of just embellishing those tunes for, you know, to make them sound more like. I think it's, I mean, it's still just keyboard stings. I don't think it was a particularly high-budget project, but um, but uh, they, yeah, I think they do the trick, atmospherically speaking. All right, let's talk about the actual game then. <laughs> uh, so the time limit, I think, is one of the kind of, yeah, it's one of the, the key features of this game. It's not something necessary. It's not unique. As I say, uh, Impossible Mission had already had an overarching time limit before, although it punished you in a slightly different way. So I think in this game, if you fall down and die, the clock just keeps ticking, right? And then you, you carry on. Right, Is but you have right? to restart uh, at the beginning of the level or maybe a yes. checkpoint, but often yes. not. So does the Apple II version even have some checkpoints in? It does. Not every level right. does, but some do. That's unusual for a game of the time. Yeah, yeah. I, thought you, um, I know you could save from level four onwards. Y- yeah, you can save, but it'll save at the beginning of the level. Um, yes. And so that's okay. right. What you were saying earlier, Leon, about the modern version, yeah. you kind of cheating wasn't really like in the Apple II version, you could do your best run, but you had to okay. do it level by level. Like what right. I was doing that was true okay. save scumming was just like, I beat yeah, this yeah, guy, yeah. save state. Uh, I jumped over this thing, save state. Uh, right. But they would just save your time at the beginning of the level. And okay. It's your- not quite as punishing as I'd, I'd sort of assumed. Um, knowing how these things often are, especially games made at the time, it's actually got a little, that's a little bit of a concession to players' time and sanity. <laughs> because I suppose the purest way to play it would still be to always start from the beginning and, and whatever else. But then I suppose you could make that argument about any game, really. Right. And it, it did. I mean, I finished it without dying because I was safe stating the whole time and I had like five minutes yeah. left. So yes. yeah. it's not, it's pretty tight even if you are doing that kind of, you know, quote-unquote perfect run. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it is a hard game on the Apple II, definitely. Also, it's much, it's slow. Like, when you play it on the DOS version, you're just like, I am just moving so much snappier here that like yeah, it actually and, the the same and, and yeah. like yeah, for me that's that's the version I know because like oh yeah this is how it played turns out no no 
Yeah, no. And, no, that, and on, that's interesting. Oh, the best part, the Apple version with the music, it cannot have any animation while music is playing. So every <laughs> time you kill a guy, you have to wait there for like five seconds for a music sting. They're just oh, like, come on, yeah. man. Like, I have 22 minutes. Imagine if they were if they released one of the new consoles this year. We're recording in 2020. And they said, OK, it's got all this, but you can't have any music and animation at the same time. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> It's different pick, different pick, times different pick times <laughs> that's why everyone thought manic mile was amazing because there was a tune going on at the same time it was yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that was a thing uh, like music or sound effects was a thing in some games right up until the uh, mm. the kind of mid 90s uh, yeah 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 mechanically the time limit's incredibly important because some of the obstacles like the spikes and the jaws like they're not difficult if you're patient yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's it just encourages that, you to pushes you to speed up. Right. And or even in combat, like you can it the combat's not too bad if you parry and retreat and just kind of wait for your moment. Uh, mm. But you, you have to be aggressive because the clock's always ticking. And so, yeah, I think it's incredibly a, a very important part of the game, but it, it makes it stressful. And you also know mm. you've lost. Uh, right. If you're on yes. level seven, you've got 50 minutes left. Yep. You're like, OK, well, yeah. Sorry, princess. <laughs> Excuse me, princess. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think probably the key thing to talk about in terms of playing this game today, and I think this is true. Obviously, Flashbacks had a re-release in the not-too-distant past on, uh, on, on contemporary formats. Um, reviews were, you know, so-so, obviously acknowledging the game's importance, but the same issue is present. I guess this is one of the issues that video games have faced since time began and will always face, which is the balance between realistic animation and letting the player do what they want to do when they want to do it. So for me, the key uh, genre in which this has always been a massive relevance is football games, uh, soccer for our American listeners, but probably this this is true of most sports games. So it, it was long a massive issue with uh, the FIFA series many years ago, that it would just play out these animations really slowly until the player kicked the ball. So the ball would be kicked some two seconds after you press the button. This is, you know, obviously they, they iterated on this hundreds of times and, and whatever else. And there were many discussions had. But somehow the rival team over at Konami were managing to have a game that not only appeared to animate as well, if not better, but also actually felt like for the most part it was doing what you yeah. wanted it to do when you wanted it wanted to do it and this we are still playing you know th this this is still something that is relevant to modern action games third person games uh how responsive they are and how that balance that incredibly difficult balance between making a character look like they're not just a weird kind of mishmash of st staccato actions and still a believable thing but also a uh a character that players you know want to control and feel like they are in control of prince of persia here it was sticky back then in that you cannot interrupt certain animations and now playing it not the classic version because you can do a certain amount of interrupting in that a bit more so with the role and stuff but playing the original now it's uh, it's a it's a tall order for people who are used to yeah. ultra responsive side-scrolling platformers yeah i mean it's like comparing mortal kombat to mortal kombat 11 right it's it's 
you've got that fixed, steady animation that you create a cycle and it doesn't necessarily interrupt very smooth. It doesn't transition. The motion tween is not, not that sharp. And then, you know, now that's the science behind a great fighting game is frame data, right? It's, it's you know, the pluses and minuses, the transitions, what's breakable, how do you break an animation? And, you know, it, 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 you're absolutely right to mention FIFA. I'm thinking back like FIFA 97, FIFA 96 era, where mm-hmm. you would press something like square <laughs> yeah. to whip across it. And suddenly you take another four strides down and, and end up running the ball out for a goal <laughs> yeah. kick. And you'd be like, well, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm, a yeah. press, I'm supposed to press it at the halfway yeah. line. Like, yeah. And that's it, like the prince abs- jumping ab- in this game to is, an yeah. extent. Yeah. Yeah. To all the panel. How do you feel about that now? Obviously, it's, uh, it was, he was trying to achieve something with this, with this rotoscoping, but was, could it even back then have been made differently so that you could, you know, like kind of jump into his animations? And obviously, it would have made it a fundamentally quite, it would have been a much quicker experience, right? The, 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 so the, the, the nearest thing that I'll compare it to is something like Super Mario Brothers again, right? Which allows someone to fail fast. Yeah. You know, you, you can press bounce, bound, mm. die rinse repeat it's it's quick bang 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 you know everything everything links everything's short frame amount um barring you know time spent in the air uh but you know that that whole transition left to right is so sharp that if you die it doesn't matter because you can rinse and repeat and something like prince of persia plays out more like to a degree a movie in terms of that label labored realism and difficulty that when you watch it Dawning realization yeah, that you're not going to make exactly. that jump. Exactly. <laughs> um, you, you actually have time Slow motion. before no. you even know that you've definitely failed to know that you failed. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Because that that level of responsiveness, both in terms of your input to the controller and then what's actually done in terms of the input to the to the character, that in turn leaves it in this space in time where it's a really interesting artifact to look at back on the fact as a transitional point for everything that it was trying to do in that space that we're in a better place now for it. But even then, and I'm thinking back 1990 Amiga, even then it was clearly not as responsive as I would have liked it, but I appreciated it from an artistic Mm -hmm. perspective. Now I can appreciate it from an artistic perspective, but but I really don't like it in terms of something to play. Did anyone else play much of the DOS version, though? Because I found that one pretty snappy. Like, uh, mm. And, and I, I haven't gone back, been able to go back to the, mid, the Mac one I played originally, but I think it felt about the same. And yeah. I, I mean, this is the thing, right? The, the Amiga one is interesting because it was done by Dan Gorlin, who did Choplifter, and oh, who was, was good it? friends with Mechner. And I suspect cool. that it feels, I suspect it feels like that because the original game on the Apple II feels like that uh, mm. because that's all you could do. Uh, mm. And it was overly faithful. I think I think Gorlin, who was a very good programmer, could have made it feel way snappier like the right. DOS version did uh, mm. and just was overly faithful in a way that probably ultimately harms it. But I, mm. And the Super Nintendo one, which I played a little of, but also felt fine. Like the DOS one mm. and the SNES one, like they're a little, they, you know, they are cinematic platformers. They have that, but more like another world is or flashback, not like, yeah. oh God. Uh, and yeah, I, some quotes from my students here. Uh, playing Jordan Mechner's yeah. Prince of Persia was in short agony, pure unadulterated agony. Uh, <laughs> I 
movement was beyond horrendous and played a big factor in my slow descent to insanity due to the input uh-huh. delays between animations, et cetera, et cetera. Platformer mm-hmm. is in boldface in all caps at one point here. Uh, laughing in pure anguish, Walter White style is a phrase. Uh, you get the gist. That was two oh, of the okay. three students. One of them liked it. <laughs> so, how, how old are these folks? For, for like twenty ish. Okay. Uh, and this was a student, you know, who modern games as it were. who got an A and like was pretty positive about most of the games they play. You know, like was was not was willing to give it yeah. the old college try, mm. no pun intended. But like was definitely. Okay. Uh, yeah, just the, con- and, and again, it was probably my fault for not suggesting, well, I'll try the yeah. Zaz or Dots try or a few something. Really yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, these, no, it's good these students know. haven't even had the pain and anguish of trying to play a croc legend of the gobbles on the PlayStation yet. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Well, wait until volume 10. We can all go through it together. I'm kidding. Or am I? No, or am I? Um, no, you are. You are. Say you are. You are. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Getting around then, well, yes, um, your your mileage may vary depending on which version you play, but fundamentally there is still, it, the, the way that the game is built means that you c- there are certain in- animations and yeah. that you can't interrupt and you are committed to certain moves once you've started to make them. But on the flip side, although there is the time pressure, there is also a kind of... Um, wily Coyote or, or because it's more gory or more like itchy and scratchy kind of comedy to some of the uh, the demises that <laughs> you'll face with your prince as uh, you miss your ledge and you fall through first one crack tile and then immediately another and land on a pit of spikes that's already covered in blood and skeletons. You know, you've got to embrace those moments and enjoy them, I think. Combat-wise, yeah, so I think, again, here, this was attempting something uh, that was uh, hitherto i mean again probably not the first ever game with a bit of sword fighting in uh, again i'm struggling to think of what the other games would have been around this time certainly bearing in mind that um he started making it in 1985 uh some probably came out in between 85 and 89 but it was common then to mainly uh like chris you know he loves to shoot things he just can't stop killing um, so, so it was common. Go on. It was it was common. It was common to to let your protagonist, if if they had an attack, it would be a projectile of some kind. So this was an unusual move to capture that uh, that Hollywood style swashbuckling two D sword fighting. Jesse, were you saying that originally there was n- it was going to be a combat free? Yeah, for a so. long time it was right. no combat. Princes avoiding stuff. Mm. Puzzle platformer. It is the influence, the the wonderful influence, and and forgive me, but I'm going to. Go for a minute about this person, because the second Please. most important person uh, to the making of Prince of Persia beyond Mechner himself is a woman named Tomi Pierce, uh, mm-hmm. who sadly died about a decade ago in her mid 50s uh, from ALS, but was just from the way he talked about her and the advice that he quotes her saying is like clearly one of the smartest people he knew and was mm-hmm. affiliated with Broder Bun doing educational software for a subsidiary of like I had actually their uh, like calculus software, which was very good teach you things with graphs uh but she and right she was not a game designer but she just had this sense for like looking at things and saying something really sharp that he would think about for weeks later she's the reason the mouse is there there's like specific quotes like he he squeezes the mouse in there at the last minute he's like if i don't tell me we'll yell at me together remember the leopard from karateka 
and he just quotes her saying like combat, 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 like this game mm. does not make you want to move forward because there's essentially no sense of like victory. Um, mm. And uh, and yeah, she ends up co-creating uh, The Last Express with him. She's the co-writer yeah, uh, of that. Right, yes. Marries Doug Carlston, the president of Rotorbund in the 90s. Uh, seems like a wonder and just like a remarkable. Her sister is the Nabokov chair of like butterfly stuff at Harvard. Uh, her grandfather was a famous Japanese novelist. Just like he I would recommend people like Google Jordan Mechner, uh, Tommy Pierce. Uh, and there's an appreciation he wrote. Uh, when she died, where I'm just like, Jesus Christ, this person seems like wow. an absolutely remarkable human being. But yeah, was was really like she just kept pushing over and over of like, this mm. game is beautiful, but it's kind of it's flat. Uh, it mm. needs this. Yeah, yeah. A, a very remarkable person. That's really interesting. So yeah, I was uh, and I and I found this again even playing the the 2007 version. Um. The early fights were a lot scarier than the later ones because you start off with a very small amount of health. You can only take yeah. like three hits at the beginning. Uh, you can boost that by collecting the large potions. And again, with the, the 2007 version, I guess it doesn't work like this in the original, but you can uh, actually no, it probably does. Because if you collect one on a later level on the 2007 version, it doesn't then give you that extra one on the earlier levels. But you can still... Uh, you can just kind of replay sections until you've found the found the secret potions, basically, and and give yourself a better chance. So it's one of those games that, although the the platforming arguably gets harder as it goes on, the combat almost felt to me like it got a bit easier, yeah. and I was a bit more prepared for it. But you start the game without a weapon, and in fact, you can come, you can uh, enter your first fight room potentially with literally no way to win uh, if you take the right hand side instead of the left where you go and get your sword. Uh, and even that, again, just uh, not that it was, it certainly wasn't the first arcade adventure or, you know, game where you had to collect items, but the idea of a game where one of the key elements, as well as the platforming, was the sword fighting, it didn't give you the tool required. I mean, that's rare to start even with. now, right? There's not many games that let you go in without a weapon where you... Normally, no, no, start. So I'm thinking something. of something like if you wanted to play like Hitman on the hardest difficulties, where you can go in essentially. Even then, you go in with like a a, a razor wire oh, yeah. garrot thing, don't you? So one of the comparisons okay. that I was going to make yeah. in, in my wrap up um, in terms of an influence was going to be Mirror's Edge, which actually looking at this gameplay list of time limit locomotion oh, yeah. combat, yeah, yeah, yeah. enemy AI, and ledge battles is actually quite yeah, fitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the again, yeah. you start with no weapon. You you can get a weapon or you can avoid oh, cool. it. Um, also, that parkour aspect, mm. ledge, that ledge scrambling um, and ex exploration. Yeah, um, for sure. And obviously, Mirror's Edge yeah. is an incredibly important game to me. Um, and, you know, yeah. epic shelf material. Um, and and mm. from the first moment that I played it, in fact, from the first moment that I saw that game, but definitely from the first moment that I played that game, straight away, my mind was on Prince of Persia. Yeah, good one. Mm. Yeah. And also, right, a great game with... Great controls if you master them, but some people just absolutely yeah, hit absolutely. a wall on. Yes, where yeah. like like that first person yeah. parkour just like bop. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a really good. Yeah, I didn't even think of that one. And again, the 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 fact that this game does have uh, the 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 way that the enemies interact with the backdrop, like it's fairly normal now. And it, but I still it's still end to me endlessly entertaining whether you blow them up, shoot them with an arrow, or or just 
gun them to watch enemies in video games yeah. falling off things. Like it, it's just uh, one of life's great pleasures to me. Um, and there's also the ability to push them back into the uh, yes. snapping blades. Yes. yes. That's yeah. really lovely to... God, yeah. <laughs> one or two for a second. Yeah. I remember when I first thought, you know it's going to happen. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I remember when I first encountered the sword. Like I got the sword like, okay, I'm getting a sword. That means I'm going to have to use... Oh, boy. Because <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know anything about the game at all. No. So when, right. I, when I encountered the sword fight, when he pulled the sword, I went, this is not really going to end well for me because I had no idea what I was doing. And, of course, I, I died yeah. in the first encounter of it. But when I yes. got used to it, I really looked forward to them in the original game. I actually okay. quite liked them. Even with the big, the, 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 the most notorious one, the really excellent mm. swordsman um mm. i still like that nah, i got you we can do this i can push you back and all sorts it's it's wonderful and of course the big boss fight at the end which you know was, was a bit of a letdown now in my humble opinion classic end <laughs> boss uh so, although i would have yeah i would have taken the bruce lee end boss at that point where you just hold right and uh win the game yeah um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, the the as obviously as as cool as as it was animating rotoscoping to the the Robin Hood scene, uh, the the actual um, the 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 animation of the sword moves themselves are, are quite limited in the in the yeah. original version. I think making it quite hard to read what's going on, to block, to parry, to 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 repost in the same way. And as as Chris mentioned earlier, the two thousand seven version. Kind of brings some some more modern elements in with a with the ability to uh, yes yeah, sort of it's got a yeah like a witch time bullet time type scenario where if you parry at the right point you get an opening and things like that which uh, which just for me just makes it a little bit more readable but it's still not I wouldn't say it was the most elegant combat system of any game I've no, ever played. No. Oddly, the, the, the parry is the one thing on the Apple II one that's pretty snappy. And once okay. I kind of mastered that, the combat was like it was still yeah. felt a little random. And uh, yes. but yeah, it, it, it um, because the delay on how. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to swing the sword. Whereas on the on the DOS version again, I was just whipping through guys like whack whack whack. Okay. And they also yeah. just seemed less aggressive. So it was it was very mm. different. Um but the one thing uh, I want to say about sort of the, the health potions, which you mentioned, right, and, mm. and how they tie into the combat getting easier, is how much they tie into that time limit thing, though, because of course. They're, they're always like the one on level three is diabolical, right? Yeah. Because if you grab it, that means you now have to do the hardest part of the level and not yeah. die. And if you die, you just wasted all that time. And then there's one on like level seven or eight where like if you grab it, you have to basically run through half the level again, uh, albeit with all the enemies dead. But, yeah. like, it is very much playing with this risk-reward thing in, a, yeah, good, mm. good ways. <laughs> and uh, just a little, we've mentioned a few of them, spiky pits and uh, wobbly tiles, and, I mean, just long drop is probably the thing that kills Prince the most, but you've also got, uh, yeah, these sort of uh, guillotines and, and whatever else. But... There's actually, and again, I, I'm sure this speaks back to the incredible limitations of the Apple II. There aren't many mechanics in this no. game at all, are there? In terms of, in ways in which the prince can interact. There's pressure plates and doors, and a few choppy things. And really, there's there's no pulleys or switches or you know any of the the myriad things that any kind of game of this type would add further down the line. Probably just through yeah lack of memory. <laughs> as much as anything but for that you know i think actually you know less can be more 
there's uh, there's there's something to it. The, the 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 multiple configurations that he came up with purely all on his own as a designer to um to make those uh, those few elements interesting and particularly i think the the standout for me is the uh for for many reasons of the game really is the the doppelganger the shadow prince whatever you want to call him uh i saw an interview with mechner where he's actually talking about how it was uh, a genuine attempt to actually have a you know a bit more of a kind of um subplot and a meaning behind the game the idea that this was actually an embodiment of our ne- the negative side of our personality and it was actually a, a, a manifestation of the the sort of the the devil on his shoulder that was telling him that his game wasn't any good and he wasn't getting it finished and you know all this kind of thing so so that adds a little something but uh, the moment when you first jump into that mirror and the doppelganger comes out is such yeah, really is. a classic like it's just such a simple idea i wonder i know Zelda 1 and 2 had already been released by this time but I wonder if the dark link we saw in the likes of Ocarina of Time would ever have happened without without Prince of Persia. And and even though I think it does end up having this this meaning the the origin of the shadow man even existing at all is Tommy Pierce being like you have to have enemies and he's like I have no room in the game for enemies. Just, and she's like can't you just take the same guy and make him a different color or something? And and he's like well if I shift the bits over by one <laughs> or whatever I get this weird looking thing that's the prince, but he, yeah. And, and, and like, and then he somehow ends up finding room for actual other enemies or stuff. But right. It was, it was very much just like, okay, I, I can have another person. Good. <laughs> and then, and the developers from there. Yeah. It's an iconic thing though, isn't it? I mean, a lot of people, certainly uh, people listen to this and ourselves know about, even if they haven't played the game, they kind of know about this thing that happens at the, as far as I was. It's a, the thing that I it's part of the culture of, of or the medium of games in that yes yeah. you, you've hurled yourself into this mirror and a mirror version of you comes mm. out uh, and yeah. uh, you also lose a lot of health when it happens by the way oh. yeah all but yeah. one the the idea of the dark do- doppelganger of oneself yes. is an ancient idea of course you know it's as old as as as, uh, as sentiency for humans is but up to this point I'd never had it manifested in a an interactive way you've seen it in i'd seen it in films and read it in stories but the idea of actually i've just created this this Mm. evil doppelganger of myself and yeah the the mechanical bit that i wanted to say was i thought was so clever is the bit where the prince can come on and steal the the power up Mm -hmm. i mean that again for the time that must have been such a it, it was one of those things where if they probably if he'd thought it through uh and and with the limitations that that were there and stuff it might might have been something that he you know would have thought better of doing i don't know how hard it was for him to to realize but i imagine that because that kind of thing no, just really wasn't, wasn't in games it wasn't even in games point. after this for like a long time yeah and and the original i mean he, he when he first created shadow man he had this very ambitious idea of like oh the whole game's going to be about like you competing like that was going to yes. happen earlier and like it would level up and, you know, nothing came of it. Like, you know, what we see mm. is like the part that was actually actionable. But like it, it had this interesting mechanical, almost board game race structure, right? Of you powering up mm. faster than Shadow Man does. <laughs> that would have been cool. Uh, I don't know. So the, we should say, although we're not officially covering it, I've never played it. Uh, I'm, I'm just aware it exists. There was Prince of Persia 2, The Shadow and the Flame, which came along 93 on MS-DOS, then 94 on Mac and FM Towns. And there was a SNES version pretty late in the SNES's life. 
in 96. Uh, but I don't know if that game uh, kind of takes, does it take that idea any further of the, the shadow? Yeah, no, Shadow Man becomes a big, I haven't played that far into it. I played no. for about an hour, hour and a half uh, this week and read about it. And it is, it's an interesting, it's really Prince of Persia 1.5. It is very much, is okay. an interesting example of a game that is successful, uh, despite being like the designer wrote a 150 page thing, gave it to a bunch of people on the other side of the country. They made the thing. He like checked in on them. Uh, and so it is, it's kind of conservative, but there's obviously so much room to go with this basic set of mechanics. Uh, and it does like, you know, many different environments, more of a story, et cetera, et cetera. But like, uh, and, and yeah, it felt good. Like I enjoyed playing that first hour and certainly I, uh, would recommend it if you like Prince of Persia. It's, it's, Take that and do more stuff with it. And yeah, there's Shadow Man stuff, apparently. But it, it's so weird how it only got ported twice as opposed to the 8,000 times and, and Japanese <laughs> versions and whatever that the original version did. Uh, it was unlockable in the Xbox for original version of Sands of Time as well, though. So uh, is that available on backwards compatibility download? I uh, don't know. On, I've lost track uh, of that. Yeah, yeah, I'm probably. not sure. I've got it on. I've got the PC version on Uplay. I'm not sure which versions are unlockable. I in did that. play the X. I did play the the classic uh, Prince of Persia on my Xbox One. Yes, that 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 works on there. That's no problem. Um, but yeah, I was wondering about anyway. Mm. Uh, look it up, folks, if you're interested. Uh, so yeah, the mouse um, is well. We mentioned it. It's cute. Um, and again, another example of. A one-off thing that literally only happens once. What else is there? So we've mentioned the mouse, Shadow Prince. There's the floating potion. That's a kind of yeah. one-off thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's really important. I thought it was poison at first. I thought, no, poison's blue. Yeah, there's a couple so, of poisonous yeah. potions, which is yeah. just mean. Um, yeah. Oh, there's the upside-down potion. Or, well, two of them. Ah, so you can yeah. flip yourself back, which is just a weird prank. And, and actually, this is, again, I think a Karataka influence because I know right. that... I don't know if it was every version of Chronicle, but at least the Apple one, the up the other side of side B of the disc was this was Karataka, but the screen was upside down. Uh, and they <laughs> wow. just it like did it because they could. And Nuts. people would call in for technical help and be like, I'm trying to play this game. It's upside down. Be like, well, flip the disc over. Uh, and they would it would work, and <laughs> they will have a very bad conception of how computers what work the for the rest of their That's life. Nice. Okay. Uh, so yeah, yeah so I mean, obviously he- platforming upside down is again something we became quite used to i mean uh strider was the same year as this wasn't it and that has an up- upside down section in the arcades at uh from capcom uh and uh obviously super mario galaxy and things later on but yes in this to just suddenly find yourself with the with the screen flipped was uh discombobulating to say the least and the only other one i can particularly think of as being a unique moment is the completely invisible path that you run along uh which appears as you run along it um but that that's only used once which i think Mm. is good because there were a lot of games around this time that would do stuff like just yeah here's a bunch of invisible platforms work it out you work it out off you go (laughs) yeah uh but this is just like kind of form in front of you just as you're running it's kind of nice Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 You didn't have to execute any skill. You just had a, I mean, no. I think it's directly like just the, the, uh, isn't that in the third Indiana Jones movie, like, which probably came out right before this, uh, the, like, yeah, but it's the optical illusion. That's right. right. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, 
and yeah, I mean, and there are things that could be made with a level editor, but feel bespoke, like level 11, having these puzzles based around the collapsing, like every bit of the ceiling, but one collapsing and stuff like mm, that. Yeah. Uh, and like interesting maze stuff. But yeah, I think those are the only like programming wise, like bespoke bits. Yeah. And then just briefly on the uh, on the, the conclusion and the ending. Um, so I've not played the original incarnation of the final fight. Uh, I sort of in my head, it's probably quite slow and frustrating. <laughs> I've played it on the uh, on the classic version. And it, yeah, it was uh, a case of getting blown back and just kind of walking forward. And by that stage, having enough health to just kind of poke away at him until he fell over. Uh, is there more to it than that in the original? Could I have done it better? Or that... could, could Jordan Mechner have done it better? <laughs> no, nah, it's basically just a sword fight. Like if you've gotten all the health potions. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not particularly, um doesn't have any special powers, doesn't throw any spells at you, which would have been oh, cool. Oh, okay. They've changed I, that then. I, yeah. I think at least I don't remember any. He was just a, he's just a same old soldier or guard with a beard. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so they they mixed that up a little bit in the 2007 version. He's got a couple of spells, uh, but it doesn't ultimately make much difference. And this, and this, then you are reunited with a another bit of uh, rotoscoping in the original versions, with uh, the Brodebund employee, and uh, parties are thrown and the credits roll. Um, and yeah, I imagine, and I can't speak to this, uh, but I imagine if you did it honestly and legitimately on the one-hour version. Maybe not in one go even, but uh, I imagine it was pretty darn special moment. Uh, one of those completions that you would, you would, uh, you would remember and, and kind of say, you know, like me and my uh, Diddy Kong Racing 47 Platinum Balloons that I'd just like to mention once in a while because that <laughs> game was so was insanely sad. difficult. Uh, I mean, Mechner has that reaction because he actually hasn't played it through legit until fairly close to the end because he's you know oh, wow. using cheats and stuff like that and he's just like, wow, I made a good game. Like, like this is tense. Like, I I made it to the end. I ran out of time as I was fighting Jafar. And as long as you don't die, you can run out of time in that fight because he can't go kill the princess if you're fighting him i guess mm. uh and so like you know he had it down to et cetera, et cetera. it was uh so yeah he you know it was nice it was very nice reading him just being pleased with his yeah. own game in that way yeah and uh, and to compare it to contemporaries it's really good ending yeah good point a lot loads of games of text, didn't, didn't do anything like, then yeah. they just said <laughs> yeah. the end yeah or congratulations or yeah <laughs> others you know we all know the any uh, kind of end sequence was a uh, winner was is you and all that yeah. stuff that's not there and there's a whole level right i mean and you just run through it and it, like there's nothing there but they're like level 14 i guess because technically yeah, yeah. Yeah. level 13 yeah. is the jafar fight and and yeah i mean just as a i mean that I'll talk about this in my summary. He has taste, right? That's the thing. For a 25-year-old video game maker, yeah, in 1989. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> but I, just, I was expecting to be able to or have to jump loads more before I got to the princess. But no, no, just run along. There no, she is. You've done your work. Done your stuff. You've won a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> so there was a, uh, a song. South Korean singer-songwriter Kim Kwang-jin released the song Magic Castle with lyrics inspired from the storyline of the original Prince of Persia. Thanks, Wikipedia. I don't know if that's on Spotify or YouTube, but check it out. 
1992, famous Russian author Viktor Pelevin wrote a short story called Prince of Central Planning, which shows a Soviet bureaucratic organization in which everyone plays computer games all the time using American computers, which were in very short supply in the Soviet Union at the end of the 1980s. Nobody really works, but actually lives in the world of the game he is playing at the moment. The protagonist, Alexander or Sasha, uh, as his name, as this name shortened in Russia, lives in the world of Prince of Persia i.e. he encounters red potions, guardians, spikes and blades in the streets and on the subway during his daily life. The story was a heavy satire on Soviet bureaucracy and resembles the stories of Philip K. Dick. It's from the uh, Prince of Persia fan wiki. And finally, I've, I don't know this uh, show too well. I've heard of it, obviously, but uh, Moby Games says Prince of Persia was alluded to in episode 705 called Epi uh, Escape from the Bronx Mystery of the TV show Science Theatre 3000, isn't it? Yeah, Mystery, Mystery Science, Science Theatre yeah, 3000. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. During an underground chase scene, Tom Servo quips, it looks like Prince of Persia. Uh, and there is a book. Max Stapp from the forum said, mm. there's a book, The Making of Prince of Persia by Jordan Mechner. It's basically a journal of how the whole process looked uh, like with some of the doodles and concept art as well. It is available on Amazon right now. I said Amazon buy it from somewhere else if you can <laughs> if you want uh six quid on kindle hardcover from 13 pounds 70 in the UK i highly the recommend the hardcover it's it's beautiful he added a lot of photos and sketch because i had the he was selling pdfs of the karatika and prince of persia diaries for like mm. seven bucks on his website and i've been using uh, them so giving excerpts to my students for, you know and they're mm. great but yeah this book is maybe the nicest video game memoir book i've ever seen just in, mm. it's, it's again the wow. man has taste the man knows how to Did that only come out this year yep yep wow. i mean it's basically the same thing as the pdf he was selling i think it might even have a few things cut to mm. be a little shorter and make more room for pictures but like i'm not noticing anything important missing i've added it to my wish list it's really good <laughs> uh, and we got a lovely post here from one of our regular community members who already had this name, I think, before we announced the, the show, as you'll hear. Uh, but uh, again, as always, this uh, for me is like the cherry on the icing on the cake of our podcast, an amazing bit of uh, listener correspondence. So Mechner from the forum says, to put it likely, Jordan Mechner and his Prince of Persia have had a deep and lasting impact on my life. And not only to be my namesake on many Internet forums like this one, I have even, in fact, named my musical solo project Mechner to pay homage to his influence on my life. Simply, my earliest living memory is my dad showing me how to play this game at three years old on our family PC. I still remember him pushing in the copied floppy disk, the mechanical clacks of our keyboard as he typed in prince.exe. The roaring PC speaker echoes in my mind as it attempts to recreate the opening theme in the way only a PC speaker can. Suddenly, I am dropped into a dungeon and a prison door clangs shut behind me. The game is my ultimate nostalgia. It is ingrained into every fibre of my being. As silly as that sounds, it's true. My love of computers, film, gaming, music, creativity, and my bond with my father all spawned directly from those evenings spent playing through the levels with my dad. He explained how to play and strategies to get past the levels quickly to beat the timer and ultimately save the princess. I learned about computers, life, music and film from my dad as I watched him attempt to beat the game numerous times. He also told me of the fabled Prince of Persia 2, The Shadow and the Flame, and its dreaded suspension bridge, 
the unbeatable skeleton. It was like a mythical artifact to me. Would I ever get to play it? To this day, Prince of Persia 1 is the last game my dad ever played and beat. Once I took over, his gaming days were finished, like the passing of the torch onto me. Though many evenings he would still look over my shoulder and ask, have you beaten the vizier yet? It wouldn't be till many years later I would beat it myself, but I never forgot those days and I progressively got even more into video games as time went on. I think that Prince of Persia is design perfection, cinematic, creative level design, simple controls and perfect pacing. Easy to play, hard to master. The puzzles are genius. The enemies are individual events, mano a mano, where one wrong step can end it all. Exploration is rewarded with extra health and alternative routes, but also a risk. There are tricks and traps around every corner to stop you in your tracks. The Shadow Prince is unforgettable. The green potion that helps you float, the mouse who presses the pressure pad, the large guard on level six, the guard who waits for you to advance, etc, etc, etc. Many years later, and with over 10 years of a varied and only partially successful musical career behind me, I bought a book of Jordan Mechner's journals he kept during the making of Prince of Persia. His writing struck a chord with me. He was a one-man creative. He did it all on his own, much like myself in my artistic endeavours. I felt akin to him as I had always done everything myself when it came to my music. What was most striking was that he was also a human, as flawed as the rest of us. Mechner had wants and desires. He was a lover of music and film, had days of self-doubt and procrastination, questioned others' motives, and he often wondered, would he ever finish the game, or even if it was worth it? A passage of those journals hit so deeply at the time I read it with where I was at as an artist that I knew my next endeavour in music would have to be named after him. He quotes, April 1st, 1987. In the past three weeks, I've put the equivalent of maybe one, eight, one full eight hour day on Baghdad. I'm starting to feel guilty about, about it. My reluctance to actually sit down in the new office and work on the damn game is so strong. I've been procrastinating by doing everything else under the sun I've been putting off since 1986, even my taxes. It says it all really. As I sit here now typing this out, I'm four days out from dropping my own next big musical release with the first part of a mini LP and short film all produced by myself due to come out then. This is an ode and thanks to Jordan and his prince for being with me a lifetime, facilitating a lasting bond between father and son sending me on a lifetime of gaming, opening my eyes to many new experiences and also setting me back on my own creative track with new vigour, showing me that it's okay to sometimes fall short as long as I always keep trying. Thank you so much, Mechner. That's brilliant. And uh, yeah, much like the prince himself, <laughs> he falls short and he keeps trying. And in just three words, though, uh, less emotion, more pith. Chris. Cats and Cucumbers says hard, gave up. Count Stacks, silky but maddening. Maxstat, grandfather of animation. Retro Clarence says amazing CPC port. Blue Weasel, breath, says original cinematic platformer. Bearfish Pie says Mechner's Prince indelible. Batzor says entrancing imaginative triumph. Halo Fandango says Prince of Perfection. Ruben Cornell says, I ran Iran. It works It works better if you're American, although Ruben isn't. So, but anyway, I like a pun. So there we are. <laughs> Thanks, Rubes. Uh, yeah. So just to summarize then, uh, our feelings on the game, obviously there are ways to play it now, all legal. Um, 
on any format you like if you're into emulation or you could not bother depending on what we say over the next few minutes. Chris? A very, very important game that changed and brought about good things in the land of video games. There was a definite crossover between film and video games and this is one of those crossover points when you realise that, wait, we can put people in video games after all. I know I've been banging that drum this whole ses- this whole show, but it's important, and that's why we've covered this game, and I'm happy that we did, and I'm happy I'm part of this show, and uh, sharing my thoughts and feelings of it. It is not a great game, in my humble opinion. It's very, very good, but unfortunately has some serious uh, difficulty levels and flaws and interface issues, which in this day and age have thankfully been overcome but still nonetheless an important game that still lives with us and is still enjoyable, but you've got to be prepared to... You've got to have a lot of patience with it. But, yeah, an important game. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I agree with the important part, no doubt at all, uh, that this game we talked about, its uh, influences on the industry uh, still being felt to this day. You can trace trace its DNA back to things or uh, forward to things like uh, the current Assassin's Creed games and uh, the current Tomb Raider games and the current Uncharted games and uh, and and also other more esoteric stuff, I suppose, like the the the, the Play Dead games we mentioned, Limbo and, and Inside. There are bits of Prince of Persia in a lot of places, even yeah, even maybe Zelda and stuff mm. like that, um, with the sword fighting and the doppelgangers and so on and so forth. Yeah, incredible piece of work, really, especially given the. Uh, the the res- incredibly restricted limitations on the machine that Mechner decided to put the original version. I would recommend if you do seek it out, as I say, you can just download it on, if you have got a Windows PC, it's literally right there on your store. You can download, it takes about one second to download and you can sample it for yourself right now. Um, otherwise, yeah, uh, probably one of the subsequent versions is the one to check out, or you can even actually go and buy if you're still willing to give Ubisoft any money because they published the 2007 version because they own the IP now, um, or you might have the classic version in your uh, 2000 in your the 2007 version in your PS3 library. That version uh, gives a good flavour, I would say, of the original. I mean, I think it it certainly looks like a 2007 quotes HD game. Looks a little uh, rough around the edges and a little plain, but it's not ugly. I wouldn't have said it's not a hideous thing. And um, yeah, I think it captures the essence of the original while also allowing the player to uh, perhaps just take it a little bit easier throughout. You still get to see all the key moments uh, of the original Prince of Persia. Or you could watch a playthrough or a version comparison or something. But do just know that, uh, yes, Sands of Time is not the original Prince of Persia. Um, And in fact, not only that, but uh, while Prince of Persia takes some of its influences from even earlier games, whether it be Load Runner or Impossible Mission or or whatever else, uh, Prince of Persia was this absolutely vital kind of um, point that a whole bunch of other exciting gaming things kind of spread out from like a like a river delta. So uh, absolutely learn about it, even if you don't kind of punish yourself by trying to complete it in the modern world. Carl? I think Prince of Persia is a really interesting one. And, and you know, we've been talking for it comfortably now for what will be edited down in the podcast longer in terms of the raw recording and could have easily talked about it for a lot longer more. Um, we've all been there to experience it. Multiple consoles, 
across multiple generations, in fact. Um, and again, you know, many of us in and around the time that it was actually released when other gaming influences were considerably less. Um, I would say it's probably impacted a lot by external sources, movies, um, that, that, that aspect. And we've all been fortunate enough to see directly through our time playing games the amount of franchises that Prince of Persia has touched upon. Um, you know, we've covered only a fraction on the on the podcast um of, of many, many more. And part of me would love to have or have had some of the younger members of, of Kane and Rince on here to get an understanding. Mm. Um, I was I was going to say younger members like Josh, but Josh is an old, jaded thirty-year-old now. Jacob, um, Jacob's J- the Jacob, baby now. Yeah, um, wise well, Yeah, there, absolutely. So. Um, and I think that would have been really fascinating to understand that transitional difference because, as 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 critical as we can be on the game now, and and, and I would I would be I, I wouldn't be so openly recommending everyone to play it because. When I recommend things, I want people to enjoy it, and I'm not entirely sure people would enjoy <laughs> Prince of Persia, yeah. even if you can appreciate what it brings. Um, and we've been at that phase where we could appreciate it for what it brought, um, and, and I'm forever grateful of that. Uh, whether or not someone like Jacob or even even Josh would feel that way now, um, I think mm. would make for a fascinating, um, fascinating listen. But listen, you know, as as far as games go um there's very few that i've played that have clearly had that widespread influence across everything else that it that it has touched um and we're talking you know multiple genres and and, and you know even kind of as you've mentioned already yourself leon major franchises like like zelda uh, uh, prince of persia will have been a reference point uncharted you know all, all these games have have absolutely looked at things that Prince of Persia have done, um, and and I think that that what you know, what a legacy to 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 leave for um, for Mechna here. It's it's ab- absolutely sensational in that regard, and you know, it's a game I still look on for its artistic merit and think, you know, what what an experience. And I was fortunate that I got to play that the way that I played it in you know both solo and Amiga, and then co-op with a friend and and and. The, the feeling and satisfaction of finally conquering something where you couldn't just go out and skip and get cheats or read a guide in a, in, a, in in online or you know watch a YouTube video for how to do a bit. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean t- times have changed. Um, just keep playing and practicing. Yeah, that was, it, it, that was, it's hard to yeah, recommend that now. Die and die um, again. And yeah, yeah, for all of the history that I've had for Prince of Persia, I'll always love that title, even if I don't necessarily love playing that title. Yeah, I get it. Uh, let's conclude with uh, Jesse. Well, I I do actively recommend you all punish yourselves by playing. <laughs> yeah. you, you, Jesse, you well, deserve that's it, put, and you know it. That's why I put you last. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, this is a great game, uh, and I enjoyed playing it a lot. It is an odd. I mean, it's bifurcating for me because there's almost two games here, right? There's the playing the Apple II version, which is like a magical primordial experience, very much colored by reading. You know, I know more about this game than almost any other game just because no one else, you know, I don't know if the guy who made Space Taxi wrote a 300 page diary about Space Taxi. I would, <laughs> I like that game. It's maybe a more fun game. But, you know, I do playing it. It, it is a magical game. However, 
Uh, and I do recommend playing the Apple II version at least somewhat if you do kind of want to approach it from that, not academic, but, you know, reading about it, getting it from his point of view. Um, and it's, you know, it's playable and I finished it. But again, I finished it by save scumming and there is, uh, you know, there was always a 20% chance I would accidentally put my sword away during a combat or uh, my guy was supposed to jump, but instead he would just kind of walk forward and die, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and, um, and I do even wonder if that's because, you know, I was using an Atari joystick instead of the actual Apple II joystick, which maybe is a little, little springier and precise. But, um, but I do think that I didn't play a huge amount of them, but the DOS version, I started a game and I got to level five in like 20 minutes, died once mm. or twice, found mm -hmm. it very responsive in a way that I think allows the inherently really solid level design. And I think that, again, it's this weird game of, it's insanely technically ambitious for an APIC game, but it is, it comes out as basically like, here's a tight little game you can finish, right? Uh, like it's mm -hmm. hard, but you can, you know, and I not ever been super great at video games reflex wise. And, you know, I had four days at that thing and I finished the Mac version. And I think I just played a level until I did it without dying, uh, saved it, you know, went on to the next one. And uh, so I do, th and it's 12 levels. You know, if he, I am curious about the Nintendo, the Super Nintendo 20 level version, mm. if they didn't get repetitive or it sounds like they added stuff, which sounds very interesting, but I do think, yeah, his original conception of this is like a 50, like a more load runner game with lots and lots of levels. I just don't think would have worked given how zoomed in it is and how much that limits your puzzles. Whereas I think I think it is just the right size. And I think if you, you know, try to and you find a version where you're comfortable with the game feel like this is a game you could play from beginning to end and it will have and just like like the mouse is the perfect example of like, what is that? Like there is a cutscene where the princess sends a little mouse out and mm. then at one point you're stuck and the mouse comes out and then at the very end of the, like it is the bare minimum it is the atomic level of narrative to be successful uh and i think from just that point of view of this like here's a person who studied the earliest silent movies and sort of understands the amount of power they can have with that limited materials you know that again he is a guy with taste for a 25 year old uh, in 1989, he has a remarkable mm. sense of himself as an artist uh, mm. and is remarkably mature. And I think that really, again, with the influence of Tommy Pierce and Doug Carlson and these other kind of wise elder people guiding him, uh, I think this is a remarkably mature and, and yeah, like the, the, the difficulty arc of the levels, et cetera, going up uh, the, the, right, the middle of the game, having this twist, it, all of it just hangs together incredibly well for me. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 uh, I'm glad we played it. And that level of smarts and insight is, and, and enthusiasm and passion is why you went last, Jesse. Mm -hmm. The most, uh, the strongest rec recommendation for, uh, for Prince of Persia from us all. So yeah, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Chris, Jesse, Carl, Editor Jay, all of our correspondents, and to you for listening. And to tell you that next time, really by coincidence, but in issue 438, a game that you can kind of trace back to Prince of Persia. It's Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Mm -hmm.